Hi, I'm Stephen Webb, host of Touring Heaven, your tour guide and traveling companion. And I'd like to invite you to come with me on a tour of heaven. We're going to travel in our etheric bodies to two spiritual retreats in the etheric octave over China now to meet a very personable master who you may not have heard of before. His name is Maitreya, which simply means kindness. There's a lot to know about Maitreya. His name has been well known for centuries among Buddhists. But you shouldn't be surprised to learn that like all ascended masters, his connections with us, the body of God on earth, transcends any one religion. Remember when we went to visit Gautama Buddha at the retreat in Shambhala in the etheric octave over the Gobi Desert and were surprised when we were invited to his western Shambhala high up in the Rocky Mountains of Montana in the United States. We were also surprised that Gautama had a direct or almost instant mode of travel to and from Jesus Retreat in Arabia. When we think of Gautama, many think of him as the Buddha. But to Buddhists, there's an entire lineage of Buddhas. They anticipate a coming Buddha who will revive apostate institutionalized Buddhism. He will dissolve the accumulated orthodoxies of 2,500 years of bureaucracy, reinvigorating the original divine spark of Gautama's wisdom and compassion back into Buddhism. And as in Messianic Christianity and Judaism, Buddhists can't agree on when the anticipated Buddha is scheduled to arrive. Some have read the prophecies of his coming with the assumption that we will be simply passive bystanders watching the Master do all the work. But that doesn't account for our free will or the God-given opportunity to work with the Master. The Ascended Masters and the innate divine wisdom of cosmic cycles move ahead with the people's inner need for divine teaching, whether we or human institutions are ready or not. But we can anticipate these cycles and get to actively choose what part we engage in in the outplaying of prophecy. Maitreya is the anticipated Buddha, except he isn't waiting to arrive. As you'll hear on this tour, he's been fully engaged with souls on earth for a while now. There are good reasons why we can't see him physically. Our eyes can't see the etheric, and, like Jesus, persons of great light get persecuted in our world, so the way to get to know him is in our etheric bodies at his level, and that's where we're going now. I think you'll notice immediately, Maitreya is awesome in a good way, and he's also very friendly and approachable. He was close to Sanat Kamara, Gautama, and Jesus long before the 144,000 volunteers from etheric Venus came to rescue the people of Earth far back in prehistory. If you want a refresh on Sanat Kamara, listen to Touring Heaven, Episode 3, Gautama Buddha and Shambhala. A spiritual lineage anywhere in cosmos is simultaneously both brotherly and hierarchical, and it's based on what we know as the master-apprentice relationship. In this case, the core lineage of ascended masters related to Earth 
begins with Sanat Kamara, then Gautama, then Maitreya, then Jesus, then the saints, east and west. This exemplary lineage has attracted other great beings of light or bodhisattvas from across cosmos to assist them and us on physical earth. Why does earth warrant so much attention? Like it or not, earth is known as the crossroads planet, where the ancient Luciferian rebellion against God is still ongoing, attempting to control this solar system and many more we don't know about. But eons of opportunity to bend the knee have passed, and the confrontation we're partially aware of now is the process where corruption and anarchy are judged and dissolved by the light of divine order and pure creativity without global war. Even though we see through a, a glass darkly and are not aware of the big picture of this judgment, we can apply daily through prayer and service to join the holy lineage as students of kindness and wisdom. The importance of Jesus in the spiritual lineage of earth, though, needs to be emphasized. To us in the physical, Jesus has been the most visible and publicly documented master. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus, aged 12, went missing for three days in Jerusalem. Think about what was happening in the unspoken sense. This is Luke. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Know ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. So if you've been a parent and your 12-year-old goes missing for three days and you find him in deep conversation with the doctors of the temple, you probably wouldn't understand his response either. But in Luke, in the printed account of this, it's important to note that when his mother Mary said, Thy father and I, father is printed with a lowercase f. When Jesus says, I must be about my father's business, Father's is printed with a capital F. A twelve-year-old chiding his father and mother about them not knowing that he's ready to be about his 
father's business, says there's a lot going on with this soul. He's not saying, please let me stay and talk with the doctors in the temple. He's taking dominion. At 12, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was in him. He was ready for something beyond the temple that he couldn't articulate, but expected them of all people to understand the yearning, the mission. He was ready to get on with it. Joseph, his father, an embodiment of St. Germain, passed away not long after that, and the father's business Jesus referred to gets no further explanation in Luke or any other gospel. The yearning to be about it, combined with the growing strength in spirit, wisdom, and grace, meant Jesus was restless. His mother, Nazareth, the doctors in Jerusalem, were not able to provide answers to his questions or his yearning. Clues and evidence of where Jesus went and what he did over the next 17 years or so can be found in the excellent book, The Lost Years of Jesus by Elizabeth Clare Prophet, which you can find on ascendedmasterspiritualretreats.com. The book makes the case, based on documentary evidence, that Jesus traveled eastward as a teen to India and Tibet. He left a trail of evidence with Buddhist monks in various monasteries at the time that he had been there and had been widely known as Saint Isa. Jesus was that advanced as a teen and youth, more than a prodigy. He was seen as a saint by people far from Palestine. So what would have drawn a teen to leave home and family to travel alone into unfamiliar territories, languages, and cultures? The simple answer is a quest or a sense of mission common to spiritual adepts looking for their particular teacher. Yet the evidence of Jesus' travels found in the lost years of Jesus doesn't indicate that he found any known teacher where he may have permanently settled as a part of that teacher's community. He kept traveling. But we do know that Jesus reappeared at age 30 in Palestine when John baptized him. The mission that follows in Palestine is that of a fully prepared adept, mystical savior and world teacher. And during that three-year mission back in Palestine, Jesus spoke as a mystic to his followers as he did to his parents about his father's business and, as we know, publicly performed miracles. How was he so well prepared? When Jesus said, He that heareth me heareth not me, but the one who sent me. Who was the one who sent him? The one who sent him was our God the Father, beyond form, the source, designer, and creator of all of cosmos, who had to have etheric form, step down from the universal cosmic hierarchy, to a personal individuality in order to speak in the Holy Spirit through his physical representative, Jesus. This step-down mantle of divine personhood or individuality was appointed through the Ascended Master, the Buddha, Maitreya, present on earth in the etheric Himalayas while Jesus was looking for him in the physical. By heartfelt affinity for his teacher, Jesus was drawn to travel to the Himalayas but we don't know if he ever physically saw him. By wisdom and grace, 
Jesus was astute enough to be aware of Maitreya's etheric presence through other people. Maitreya taught Jesus in the physical through the words and behavior of other people and through the non-verbal means of the Holy Spirit. But just like you who are about to meet Maitreya in your etheric body, Jesus would have communed with Maitreya in the etheric. In effect, Jesus' communion with Maitreya, who personified the universal I am that I am, was a form of schooling, a mystery school with a student body of one. 2,000 years later, the student body has expanded, possibly including you. Jesus' initiations under Maitreya's teaching were unique to his mission, and yours will be unique to your mission for humanity. You'll notice Maitreya often smiles and laughs and is known for his close personal interaction with his students. He's friendly, tall, broad-shouldered, fearless, has great vitality, dignity, patience, he's seen it all, and as a teacher, he's respectful and kind. Ask Jesus about his teacher when you see him next in the etheric. So how do you find Maitreya as Jesus did? Physical, etheric, or both? That's the question. Maitreya's Zen answer is, come and find me. In other words, he only wants to take on sincere students who make a sustained effort. Those who want to find him and to show themselves worthy to know God through study, prayer, and service. Even though you're aware of yourself only in the physical body, you also have an etheric body. And when the student is ready, the master appears there, face to face. You'll find him as teacher in your etheric body, but you'll prove what you learn intuitively from him through your physical behavior. Where then does a candidate go in the etheric to meet Maitreya face to face? Tonight, we're traveling in our etheric bodies to a retreat in the etheric plane over the northern port city of Tianjin, or Tianjin, the third largest metro area in China. The name Tianjin means heavenly ford, and in the etheric, that's what we can expect to find. In the physical world, Tianjin, the port and financial metropolis of over 13 million people, developed where several rivers and canals merge into the Hai River. The Hai then flows eastward into the Bohai, the Gulf of the Yellow Sea. While I've been briefing you on who Maitreya is and where we're going, our blue angels have been patiently waiting for the physical you to nod off to sleep, so the etheric you can rise up through the roof and into the night sky, respond to the angel's smile, and then hold on tight. Are you ready? All right, we're up and on our way. Not so much heading toward China, because nations as we know them don't exist in the higher frequencies of heaven but to a destination Maitreya would describe simply as a pure land. In what feels like just moments, we break through clouds and begin to circle a deep green forest, threaded with a silvery blue network of rivers flowing towards a turquoise bay. The sun is shining, and the warm water below reflects the light 
like sparkling diamonds. We take a seat and wait, looking down at the interlocking glyphs embedded in the gold flagstones, and then up at the flowering trees, it really becomes clear. This is heaven's ford, serene and peaceful, a pure land. It's also suddenly clear that none of us would be here if we weren't already at least candidates for Maitreya's mystery school in our octave. In our world, the mystery school is not so much one physical location anymore, but worldwide, a state of attuned consciousness, of receptivity to being taught and to being kind. At that thought, while we're looking out over the river, a bell sounds a sweet, melodic, reverberating note, and when we turn around, there is Maitreya, face to face. In person, he's infinitely more wonderful than any of the portraits you might have seen of him in our world. One feels the urge to rush up and hug him as the dearest friend and father. Maitreya invites us to pull the chairs in to make a more intimate circle and sits down with us. What's so wonderful is the realization that the teacher of Jesus and the saints of the last 2,000 years, East and West, has invited us here for a purpose. This is going to be interesting. Right away, we notice the master is holding a simple carved wooden bowl in his hands as he looks at each of us and begins, as the best teachers do, with an opening explanation wrapped in a mystery. He begins with an acknowledgement of what we're feeling. The transfer of the light of my heart is simply an intensification of God as love in your heart. A love for the person of God, the personal manifestation of God that dwells concomitantly with the eternal spirit. To be in love with a person of God is to be assimilated by that person and therefore to become that one. Simple mystery of the Buddhic path. Simple mystery of the light. But I am Maitreya. I am the initiator of the love spiral. Now, perceive the bowl of your consciousness, hewn out of the natural wood. Now see as I pour the elixir of love into the wooden bowl. Have you thought of yourself as the begging bowl? Have you thought of the carrying of the begging bowl as initiation on the path, the key to the realization that man is a beggar before God, and that when he ceases to be ashamed of that truth, then he will ask and receive the elixir of love. In the secondary manifestation, the monk with the begging bowl must learn the perfection of indifference. For some deposit in the bowl love, and others hatred. They despise and reject the Christ in the one who comes, and therefore renounce in themselves the position of God and the opportunity of God to give unto God 
the fullness of the requirement of the hour. Blessed ones, now, in this cycle of the coming Buddha who has come, all life on earth receives initiation, hour by hour, day by day. Until my coming in the flame of the cosmic Christ, for this age, it was only those who would seek and find the Guru. Now, with the acceleration and the compelling of the law and the compelling of earth's evolutions into oneness with that law, none are exempt. Lo, the day is at hand, and every life stream must give accounting to the Guru Maitreya whether to enter the mainstream of initiation of life or to be found high and dry upon the shore without identification with the movement of God. I pray then that you will pray then that every form of life on earth might reach for the next rung and the next rhythm in the movement of consciousness. I ask you to pray for the deliverance of souls, for their salvation through Jesus Christ, through Gautama Buddha, through the I am that I am, through the message of God unto Muhammad, through the sayings of Confucius, Zarathustra, Melchizedek, Lao Tzu, and all who have carried the flame of Mother, East and West. I ask you to pray that the deliverance of souls come quickly and that the manifestation of God-consciousness on earth be the fulfillment of love and only love. Here the bubbling crystal waters of the elixir of love which I pour carefully into your bowl. Your soul extends to me with outstretched hands now, the wooden bowl of life. I pour into this hemisphere of self, and I say to self, Drink ye all of it. Drink of the elixir of love, and let love be the fullness of the message of the Sacred Heart, intensifying, burning within your heart, burning and expanding until you yourself are consumed by all-consuming love, and in that consummation you realize the self in higher and higher spirals of being. Visualize the coming Buddha coming into your life always with the initiation of love. Drink in love, be filled with love, and sustain the love that we share in the very midst of the hatred that sets itself against the fulfillment of love in the age of Aquarius. Now then, by the love that I impart, be the focal point for the transmutation, the consuming of war that comes from hatred, of prejudice that comes from hatred, of Antichrist, anti-God, that is the hatred of the self, self-annihilation, the hatred of the little child, the unborn, of the mother and the father and the spirit. Blessed ones, the annihilation of the person of God is the ultimate hatred of the fallen one. For the sin of the fallen one is the refusal to bend the knee and to confess the name of the cosmic Christ in Maitreya, in Jesus, in Krishna, in Christos, in your eternal Christ-Self. Therefore, understand 
that the lie of the denial of the personification of God originated in the pride of the evildoer who would not worship the Son of God but made himself equal with God and only upon the basis of a pride-filled equality would give homage to God himself almost as a patrimony, as a condescension. Blessed ones, he who does not recognize the holy child as God and worship the God within the child denies the Lord God himself. For which one of you will acknowledge anyone who denies your offspring while saluting yourself? Your offspring is yourself, the eternal Christ, incarnate as the Word in many sons and daughters, is the self of God. Those who know not then the Christ are as pagans, as idolaters, and cut themselves off from the Eternal One. For by that denial of the love of the only begotten Son and of God for the soul of humanity in sending that Son, therefore lost the contact with the threefold flame of their divinity, which contains Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am Maitreya. I stand before you in the fullness of my stature. As I confirm myself to your inner eye as the personification of God, I open the door for you to stand upon the platform of life, the personification of the Christ, to be the open door for that self-same realization in all humanity. And therefore, I must declare myself the person of God, else deny forevermore your capacity to be the Son. I have shared my communion cup of love. I have filled your beggar's bowl, and therefore you are no longer the beggar in life, but the inheritor, the joint heir with the universal Christ. Expand your Christ's self-awareness from the point of the heart of the point of Jesus Christ to the point of Gautama Buddha, and know me as I am, the initiator of all levels and planes of Christ consciousness. I call then unto the twelve tribes of Israel. I send the lifeline of the pure Son of God, and I say unto all, Worship the Son, for only by worshipping the Son can you become the Son. This is the eternal message sent from the Father, which I confirm to your soul with the nearness of his heartbeat and his very breath. I am in you, Maitreya, the coming Buddha who has come to call you home to love. Maitreya stands and looking at each of us, smiles thoughtfully, acknowledges the Christ in us, and walks back through wide open doors into the pagoda. In reflecting on his carefully chosen words, that we are the inheritors, the joint heirs of I am that I am. None of us can speak. We're so used to being put down in our world that we had to come to a pure land to be able to grasp it. One by one we get up and stroll between the trees down toward the crystal river to think. The reeds along the bank bend slightly in the breeze it's quiet, except for the birds above us. How will we 
convey an awareness of this inheritance and responsibility by intuition to our waking minds. It implies the choice of immortality. We had thought that that was only for apostles and saints back in history. How would we convey that to anyone else? That love is transferable. Who would hear us? And then each of us, feeling the presence of Maitreya, turn around. The master nods, apparently observing our thoughts, and asks us to follow him. We pass through the gold courtyard, up the stairs, and into the pagoda. And then within a split moment, we're walking at a faster pace within a tunnel of light, a familiar experience to us from our visits to Gautama, Jesus, and Nada's retreats. And then there's a dazzling, clear blue sky ahead of us and a rush of cold air. As we step out of the bright tunnel, we feel snow giving way under us, up to our ankles. We look around at the panoramic view of high-altitude, snowy mountains in all directions. The elevation is well above the tree line, and there's a pristine peace in the air, a calmness and a freedom that's so rarely felt in our world. It's a joy to breathe it in, thinking how good it would be to recall from memory that this is how the sky should look and the air feel in our world. Maitreya motions us along a path cleared of snow toward a majestic white marble temple. We stop for a moment to look up at the bright towers and then take several flights of stairs up to the glowing entrance doors that open for us. Inside, more stairs, and then, in the foyer, we gather around a pink flame fountain. We feel its softening radiance, and after a few moments, join Maitreya out on a balcony with a broader view of mountains and valleys to the horizon. With almost no breeze, it's so still. A question is asked, almost in a whisper, about the concept the Master introduced, that joint inheritance of the universe is available to all sons and daughters of God. How would we convey that to anyone in our world? Without tangible proof, no one would have the time to listen. Maitreya explains how long ago he had similar thoughts in a conversation with his own teacher, Gautama Buddha, who he calls Father. Maitreya had been pondering the non-responsiveness of those in our world he wanted to teach. Those who had volunteered to come here from Venus, but who had forgotten the mission and had no inclination to be reminded. At the time, this may have included us. Maitreya smiles as if reading our thoughts and then begins to speak. One day I sat, my head in my hands, deep in thought, and Lord Gautama said to me, What are you thinking, my son? And I said, My father, can we win them with kindness and with love? Will they respond to love? And my father said to me, If you hold within your heart, my son, the full orchestration of love, 144,000 tones of love, if you yourself 
will come to know love, then yes, you will win them with love. My heart leaped for joy. My father had given to me the challenge to know love, to be love, not for the sake of mere love and loving love, not for the mere sake of the bliss of the communion of love, but for the salvation of souls, for the reaching out unto my God in humanity. Maitreya pauses. Did he just say what we thought he said, that expressions of love are a more effective form of communication than speech? In silence, we look out over the snow-covered valleys. The follow-on thought is, how would anyone ever learn the orchestration of 144,000 tones of love? Is it humanly possible to differentiate one vibration of love from another? And then Maitreya continues, without entertaining our human questioning. One tender smile is surely worth a thousand frames of the face of Maitreya. The loving, overflowing, pure heart's giving. Does this not convey the Maitreya beyond the veil? I desire you to be myself, not in pomposity or pride, now self-styled initiators of lesser mortals, no. But to remember that by the grace of the one who has sent me, you yourself might be my vessel. You say then, but you have not yet appeared to us, Maitreya. How can we be yourself appearing to others? Yet I have so many times appeared to you. We are silent again, wondering how many brothers and sisters we've ignored or shortchanged over the years and didn't once see Maitreya looking at us through their eyes. It gets a bit humbling when you think you've done a few things right and it's pointed out that your record of sensitivity is not that different from everyone else's. As if hearing our thoughts of self-doubt, Maitreya answers in a way that affirms, we have the ongoing, inbuilt capacity to become like him. Our choice. He continues, you shall surely know the Buddha in the way when you expand the golden pink glory of the heart, becoming thereby tender, sensitive, loving in a beautiful sound of love, love as appreciation for the soul, for the spirit, for the vastness of potential and being, but above all, appreciation for the God flame. In gratitude for the God flame, that is your threefold flame. Serve to set life free. Kindness always comes forth from gratitude. Selfishness emits from the state of the ingrate who receives again and again and demands more and demands more again, as though life and hierarchy and mother should supply all wants and needs. 
even though they don't have this understanding, these are children of God and loved as family, he points out. But if a Christed one unilaterally removed all pain from their world, their opportunity to gain mastery over lifetimes of mistakes, the gradual maturing of their identity would also be removed. There is a necessary graduation through adversity, he added. From child of God to son or daughter of God, there's a difference in the office. The difference is that the son or daughter takes responsibility or dominion over problems in their world, praying for help if needed, and thereby God grows within them as they mature. Pointing outward toward the mountains, Maitreya indicates that the whole world, more than 8 billion souls, are experiencing varying degrees of suffering. The Buddhas, he says, are aware of all pain and by their bodhisattva vows send love to each one in the appropriate tone of love. If hatred and anger come back as the response to love, the misqualified energy is transmuted at the outer edge of the Buddha's aura, back into love. If love or gratitude is the response, a bond with the Buddha is formed and strengthened with each exchange of the love communion. This is the beginning of the orchestration of the 144,000 tones of love. From our vantage in the etheric at this high elevation, Maitreya invites us to meditate on the physical world we've come from. As a voluntary exercise, he will allow a minuscule amount of the world's pain to be momentarily felt by us, but only to the extent that we can handle it. We agree and seat ourselves comfortably on thick rugs on the balcony. Under his direction, we visualize a bright candle flame, change the color to violet in our mind's eye, and then gradually focus our complete attention in the center of the violet flame. As waves of feeling come to us from our world, Maitreya instructs us to calmly send the feelings with a short mantra, I am a being of violet fire I am the purity God desires. As a flowing current into the center of the flame, accept them as transmuted into a higher form of love and wait for the next wave. This is, for us, what you might call sobering. The feelings of anguish are old familiar baggage, but amplified by many individuals. One or two waves are about all we can take. Maitreya eases us out of the meditation, just as we reach our limit. But in his eyes, there's a sense that our limit could expand as we learn to change the slow-moving waves of anguish back into the higher, quicker vibration of love. That's the pure form that the daily energy originally came as, from God to his children. It's us 
in our mass-media-tainted state of unreality, who unwittingly shift the original pure energy of love and turn it into suffering. To be willing to receive these waves of anguish, even in minuscule scope, is a test of trust that would only be offered to those who are ready for this first novice rung on the ladder of the bodhisattvas. There are higher rungs. That Maitreya would take the time and the loving patience and mastery to work this closely with us generates a wave of its own, namely gratitude and appreciation. He and Gautama had apprenticed under Sanatkamara long ago to learn the 144,000 tones of love when no one else on the planet had any awareness of the need. This is why the ancient mystery school in Eden and later mystery schools were established. The rungs on the ladder of the bodhisattvas had to be climbed by some, the few who understood. We are in the holy company of a pioneer who is doing what he had volunteered to come to earth to do. We're just beginning to remember that we had come for the same service, made the same vow, and then in the pain and distractions of our world had forgotten the mission. Maitreya stands, accepts our gratitude, and we feel the radiation of love from his heart to our own, filling our begging bowl. The feeling is, as he said, a glimpse of the difference between prince and beggar. He asks us to put our attention on the burning, spinning feeling in the secret chamber behind our hearts, just like Jesus' disciples felt it on the road to Emmaus. And he says, The flame of life as divine spark beats, beats, beloved, and leaps, burns and blazes within you. All else may fade, but the flame burns on. And out of the flame is the call, call to the soul. Come home to the heart of Maitreya. Join me in a prayer, a daily prayer from Nada, he says. We stand and begin the prayer in unison with him, looking out over the mountains covered in snow. A flame is active. A flame is vital. A flame is eternal. I am a God flame of radiant love from the very heart of God in the great central sun descending from the master of life. I am charged now with beloved Helios and Vesta's supreme God-consciousness and solar awareness. Pilgrim upon earth, I am walking daily the way of the Ascended Master's victory that leads to my eternal freedom by the power of the sacred fire, this day and always, continually made manifest in my thoughts, feelings, and immediate awareness, transcending and transmuting all the elements of earth within my four lower bodies, and freeing me by the power of the sacred fire from those misqualified foci of energy within my being. I am set free right now from all that binds by and through the currents of the divine flame of the sacred fire itself, whose ascending action makes me God in manifestation, God in action, God by direction and God in consciousness. I am an active flame. I am a vital flame. 
I am an eternal flame. I am an expanding fire spark from the great central sun, drawing to me now every ray of divine energy which I need and which can never be requalified by the human, and flooding me with the light and God illumination of a thousand suns to take dominion and rule supreme forever everywhere I am. Where I am, there God is also. Unseparated forever I remain, increasing my light by the smile of His radiance, the fullness of His love, the omniscience of His wisdom, and the power of His life eternal, which automatically raises me on ascension's wings of victory that shall return me to the heart of God from whence in truth I am come to do God's will and manifest abundant life to all. The resonance of the prayer reverberates for a moment like a pulsing fire spark inside us. And then, along the high ridges of the mountains, we see the bright flashes of sapphire blue as our escort angels circle in between the peaks. There are no words we can find to express our love, reverence, and gratitude to Maitreya for his eons as a pioneer and his patience with us. Instead, we use our heart flames to radiate to his heart. And when our blue angels offer their arms to us, we understand we'll be back, and that even in our waking state, our heart tie with Maitreya will be real, whether we're aware of it each moment or not. Our immediate task will be to intuit at least some part of the experience to our physical waking mind. After that, how do you begin to learn the non-verbal language of 144,000 tones of love? Oh, Maitreya, show me how to start with even one. As we travel with our angels back to our physical bodies, I should mention that the reference source for each of our tours of heaven is the Masters and their retreats. You can browse the table of contents, view the world map of the retreats, or buy the book on AscendedMastersSpiritualRetreats.com. Also available in book or ebook form, a set of discourses directly from Maitreya himself, appropriately titled Teachings from the Mystery School and The Lost Years of Jesus. Both can be found on AscendedMastersSpiritualRetreats.com. Next tour, we're going to etheric Jerusalem, to the Temple of the Resurrection, to meet an amazing Lady Master whose name is known to hundreds of millions of people. You may know part of her story, Mary Magdalene from the New Testament, and may have wondered whatever happened to her. She is the twin flame of Jesus and ascended only very recently. The Ascended Lady Master Magda has a lot to tell us about twin flames. And just for the companionship, Jesus will join us. For now, thanks for taking this high-altitude tour with me from the wooded banks of the etheric heavenly ford in Maitreya's pure land, up to the snow on the roof of the world in the Himalayas, and back home, knowing we are sons and daughters of God, that we now remember the mission, and that we have a place on the ladder of the bodhisattvas, I'm here to say, always victory.